how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I sat down with writer-director star Dan Levy, best known for Schitt's Creek and the new Netflix film where he wrote and directed Good Grief. We talk about a ton of stuff in this interview, including storytelling, what actually got him started in the business, even back to his MTV days of writing sketches and things like that. We talk about the origin of Good Grief, how he wrote that during the pandemic, how to find trusted advisors, along with some bad advice in the industry, and what it means to pitch truly personal ideas. They are going to be the ones that sustain you. We go into great detail about all of this and more. At the end, we actually talk about writing the ending to Schitt's Creek, that emotional ending that we all got to experience not too long ago. Here is my conversation with Dan Levy. You can also find the print interview on the Creative Screenwriting website. I loved storytelling and I loved um, the idea. I, I've always, I think, been a very observant person when it comes to like really reveling in like human dynamics. And I think as a, as a, like an observer of people, it felt like a really easy outlet to kind of express like my curiosity and excitement about who people are and how they work and, and the flaws and the joys and the, all the massive kind of who we are as people. Um, and I had a really great teacher in high school who read something that I wrote and pulled me aside and said, you should write. And I, I really attribute so much of my feeling capable and my feeling confident to that experience. I think, you know, in high school, you're in a very vulnerable point in your life and teachers have the capability of, of inspiring you and instilling kind of a drive in you to do something. And, and I, I, looking back, I, I attribute so much of my career to that teacher um, and, and the generosity of kind of seeing something in, in a student and, and going out of her way to say, go like run in this direction. I think you have something to say. So yeah, it's just been in me. I think. You know, I think any kind of creative outlet, if if you it finds you, if it's if it's meant to. Was there a point when you started to kind of go in that lane of what we saw later with Shit's Creek, with that the kind of comedy drama pathos that we all came to love? Is there anywhere that really started to stand out for your writing? I loved, I love writing that fine balance between comedy and drama. I love acting it. I love writing it. I think it's truthful. I think it's life. I think in particular with, with this film, like there was, there's always kind of comedy in the darkest of times. I think it's a coping mechanism. I think as human beings, we kind of have to laugh as a means of just getting through things. So the idea of, I just have never subscribed to the idea that one thing, sh you should only do one thing, like only comedy or only drama that they can't live together because i think life is is both drama and comedy living together that's that's what every day is um and so certainly over the course of 80 episodes getting to write these really sort of tender moments hidden in the comedy of Shit's Creek was for me the most exciting part of it 
those little emotional character reveals and those moments of of real humanity. And I think that's what made the show successful. It wasn't just a comedy. It was a comedy that that had a real heartbeat to it and that had real kind of emotional stakes. And it was because of that that I felt confident and and capable enough to sit down and write my take on a drama, which was, you know, about grief, but also had great joy in it and had laughter and and lightness to it. So, yeah, I think I'll always, I'll always want to live in that sweet spot of like common comedy and drama. And, uh, you know, it's too, too heavy otherwise. What was the original idea for good grief? What was kind of the spark? I, uh, I knew I wanted to write about friendship, uh, Coming out of uh, of Schitt's Creek, which was very much about family, but also about friendship. We touched on it, you know. Um, I wanted that to be the focus. I love my friends. They've been there for me in, in times of, like, great need. And I just haven't seen movie or enough movies where the friendship is enough. You know, it's like it's a culture where if the, if the protagonist isn't falling in love at the end of it, then somehow it's unfulfilling. To me, friendship is the love story. And to give that the time and the space that it it deserves um, is important. Um, and then at the same time, you know, the pandemic brought on this whole kind of collective grief. I then lost my grandmother. I lost my dog. I was going through a lot of grieving and and wondering what it all means. And so combining this curiosity around grief and a desire to tell a story about friendship, the the, the screenplay kind of came to me over over a couple months and and the story really, really opened up and and it wasn't it wasn't a hard thing to write. It was a difficult thing to articulate. It was a difficult thing to physically kind of find the words. But the story itself came to me quite easily once once those pieces were in place. Do you do any other um, tangible items? Like do you journal things like that, that lead to story ideas? Anything? I wish, <laughs> I wish I journal. I have friends of mine. I have friends of mine who are comics who constantly are writing down jokes, constantly are writing down lines. And I should, there are, I, I do have like a very scattered notes app where I write down kind of ideas for things. A lot of it is ideas for TV shows that I think are kind of interesting or scenarios, life scenarios that either happened to me or I observed that I thought were compelling enough to kind of potentially write into something. I wish I had more of a routine around it, um, but I don't. I mean, I've, I've, I have the journal beside my bed. It is dusty. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm going to try. My New Year's resolution is to journal more. I, I, I would be curious to see what it did for me. I would assume like after Shit's Creek, and you've done, I watched The Big Brunch. My wife and I loved it. And you've got a lot oh, of thanks. other stuff going on. Um, I would assume you chose to write this project because it was the most personal, maybe in lieu of some other things. Is that the same advice you would give up and coming screenwriters just to chase I what's therapeutic? Absolutely. I mean, it's a huge commitment of time, you know, to to sit down and write. It's an incredibly isolating experience. And then to direct and act and, you know, put build something from the ground up. It takes everything you have. You know, it, 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 it takes such a huge investment of time and energy, emotional energy, physical energy, that if you're not totally in love with what you're doing, it's, it's going to catch up to you. So in order to kind of to 
ride the creative beast, you have you have to have the love for it. And that's what stops it from feeling like work. And and that's where the thrill is. So for me, it was really important, especially after Shit's Creek, to take the time to figure out what do I love, what idea do I love enough to to go back into that all-consuming space and build from the ground up. And you know, I think between Shit's Creek and Brunch and this project, there's a lot of love there. You know, I think that's 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 the only way I can do it. Um, and they're all distinctly different, and yet they're all elements of my curiosity and i don't love the idea that you get put in a box when you have some success in this industry i i i I really believe that we should be able to explore any and every facet of our creativity if, if we can um and if the ideas are good enough so yeah my hope is that i can continue to kind of adhere to that philosophy and and that i'll i'll continue to be given the opportunities to to tell whatever comes, whatever story comes next. But yeah, it has to be, you have to have the passion and the love in order to, to, to stay afloat through it all. You feel like within all those realms that you still kind of have a lane that makes it yours. Is it just, is it comedy drama? Is there something like a smaller, funner point to what makes a Dan Levy project? I guess I just, I write what I know. Like I write life and I'm not, I don't try to write for anybody. I try to write. I, I try to write what I see and the specificity, I think of, of the characters and maybe the way that they speak or the way that they operate or the, you know, the self-awareness or, or whatever it is there. I think that I, I, I guess there's a specificity to the characters and the dialogue in, in what I write that I hope is distinct to me. Hmm. And I also love the idea of, Throughout it all, assuring an audience that things are going to be okay. Um, I think that was really important to me in Schitt's Creek, really important for brunch, even though it wasn't scripted. It was a, it was a totally different, you know, operation. And then in this film, you know, it's like, even in the darkest moments, there's a small joke and that joke is life, but that joke is also to assure the audience that, it's never going to be too hard. It's never going to be too scary. It'll, you know, that I'm with you on this journey and I, I want you to feel comforted um, in the moments when the movie is, is at its, at its most painful. So I think a love and appreciation for the audience as well as, um, as well as a desire to kind of write really specific and, and hopefully interesting characters. Was there something within like the character arc of this story that made it a movie as opposed to a, a TV series or limited series? Like, how do you think about the difference in the two these days? I think you think about the legs of the idea. You know, I think I knew that this was a story I wanted to tell. Oftentimes when you're, when you're developing, you know, for TV, you'll have a premise and then you explore the premise and realize, oh, I don't know where this could go after episode three. And, and so you stop or you recalibrate, you like figure out, okay, well, can this live as a, as a movie? Oftentimes, no, because it was intended as a TV show. This was always intended to be a singular story told, you know, in 97 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think in some cases 
you know, there was, yeah, you, you just tend to have an idea if you're, if you're thinking kind of thoughtfully about it. Um, TV, you, you really have to have that understanding that like, oh yeah, this could live for seasons and seasons and seasons and still be interesting. Um, but it's tricky. There's been many times where I've sat down to write and get excited about episode one and then try to plot out the rest of the season and think, well, that was a great idea. And we are putting it on hold for now. Um, so, yeah. Did you get any advice either with the film or maybe back in Shit's Creek about wearing multiple hats, being a writer, director, actor? Like, I, I can't imagine that's easy. Um, Do you get any advice from or seek out mentors about that? I did. I really didn't, actually. I think it came from a collection of, like, life experiences. I was a TV host. Uh, at MTV for a long time before I developed Schitt's Creek. And we did a lot of like scripted sketches and things when I was there. We had a ton of freedom to sit and edit and produce our own work. Um, and so I do believe that everything kind of leads, one thing leads to another leads to another. And I think by the time that I had, what we started making Schitt's Creek, I had gained enough experience practically speaking of like how things run, how things work, not just writing, but how an edit suite works, how putting something together works, what an audience will respond to. It really comes down to like having a really strong conviction in what you want to make, having a very clear vision of what you want to make so that if anyone on set comes up and asks you a question, you have an answer. Even if that answer is like, give me five minutes to think about that, I'll get back to you. And that took a long time. I was I was surrounded by a really great team on the first couple seasons of Schitt's Creek until I was given a little bit more freedom to to really go there. But again, I knew how I wanted the characters to dress. I knew how I wanted the show to look. I knew how I wanted the tone of the dialogue to be. I knew the boundaries of where the drama could go and where the comedy could go. So that clarity of focus, I think, is so important. And if you have it, it allows the multiple hats to feel less overwhelming because as a director, I knew exactly what I wanted to say to my DP as a producer. I knew exactly what I wanted to say to, you know, a production design team or a marketing team, or, you know, you just have to have that, the totality of the idea. Um, and if you've really done that kind of work, then it, it's an incredibly difficult process for sure, but it, it's not as difficult as if if I didn't know answers to people's questions. That would make it really overwhelming. Did anything change about your writing process that that comes to like tactical advice while working on Shit's Creek? Any the the habits or the way you think about characters or scenes or anything like that? You know, I think um, it was more writing a screenplay. I would say. I never thought I would write a screenplay. It was always too intimidating for me. Episodic TV, I thought was easy. Not easy, but it was fun. It was like fun in a way that was different. The idea of sitting down and writing a screenplay felt really daunting. And yet I would ask like friends of mine who are screenwriters and they would say the same thing about writing like 80 episodes of a TV show. So you're kind of on other opposite ends of this thing, fearing what each other do. And then you actually get into it in the case of this movie I knew that I wanted to to tell the story. So I just had to start and I bought save the cat and I bought the books and I started reading and I, you understand that there is, there can be a kind of infrastructure in place to help you step by step. 
um, along the way. I think the greatest, while it's not mentorship, I think the greatest advice that I would give to anyone who is kind of wanting to write or, or trying to write something new is don't let your ego stand in the way of involving friends or people you trust to read things and don't let their feedback like be met with a lot of hesitation. Try to be as open as you possibly can. And that's a great exercise in terms of you being able as the writer to hear what people are thinking and then choose for yourself what means something to me and what am I willing to adjust for an audience? And it's tricky. It's really hard when you sit down and you're at your computer writing and writing and writing and writing and you hand something to someone and they come back to you and say, well, like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't quite understand this section. It makes perfect sense to you, but maybe it doesn't to an audience. And that conversation is so valuable. When it came to, to, to the screenplay, I, I had a couple friends come in I invited them over. We had lunch. They, I walked them through my beat board. They instantly said, oh, well, why don't, why don't you just put that scene over there and then swap that down there? And don't you think that would make a lot more sense? And yeah, it made a ton of sense. And I've just been too in my own head sitting in my office every day, day in, day out. So the openness to bring people in and realize that that's not a weakness that's a strength to say, okay, I know what I want to make and I'm going to turn to the people I trust and be open enough to, to listen to them and, and take that feedback. So yeah, I still can't believe I, I wrote a movie. It's, it's wild. Was there any particularly bad advice or common bad advice you hear in the industry? I wouldn't say it's bad advice, but I do think Sometimes you get notes where you think, huh, is this in service to the story or is this in service to the sale of the story? And you have to pick and choose what you want to do. For me, the integrity of the story is key. So if I feel like there's, you know, adjustments that are are wanting to be made that are more about easing people's understanding of what I'm saying or softening the blow for an audience. I have very little interest in that because I'm a subscriber to the idea that we, we grow fond. We go, we, we have really strong attachments to things we, we might not understand, but want to understand. Hmm. And if we're just half a step ahead of the audience, it forces a kind of active communication. It forces a kind of active participation for your audience to understand, to question, to, to disagree. That to me is the exciting dialogue. When things are being spoon fed to an audience, they don't care. They'll consume it, but then they'll walk away and, and won't think about what you've done. So for me, the preservation of the specificity of the idea, the integrity of the idea, obviously there are compromises that have to be made for, for a variety of reasons. And there's a lot of very qualified people out there telling you, this is what has to happen for this reason. And you say, okay, great. But knowing what you want to say clearly enough, like to be able to say, okay, I will do that, but I will not do that because it's softening the edges too much. And I, I, I don't want that. That is, I think the dance and it's a tricky one. 
but I, I strongly recommend fighting because as, as I've said many times to, to various people who have asked the last, the, the most heartbreaking thing you can do is come up with an idea, have it filter through a thousand different people with a thousand different agendas, prioritize getting it made over the actual integrity of the idea, have it come out, have it not represent your idea at all because it is somehow a different thing. It's become a different thing. You then go to sleep at night saying, this is a nightmare. People don't like it or people do, but you, the writer are in bed being like, I don't recognize this. This is not me. This is not my voice. This is not my, what I want. The intentions are off and you can't ever take that back. So all we can do is fight for what we believe in, I think, as as writers and and hope that if you surround yourself with the right team of people, they will understand that and appreciate that and fight for that, too. We talked about a few things that are maybe already going against like what we hear about, like pitching. And it's like they want to hear it's diehard on a spaceship or some some relative type thing like that. Any advice for pitching those things that are very personal and maybe they maybe they're not a mirror image of something we've already seen. Any advice on that? Be thorough. Be thorough. I think from my experience, a lot of ideas come in and they're a bit half-baked. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have an answer for every question that someone can ask you about your pitch. You have to have thought of everything. You have to have taken the time to flesh out your characters. You have to know their backstories. You have to know little pieces of information that aren't even in your pitch. You have to be able to fill in the blanks for people. You have to show whoever's potentially buying your idea that what they're buying is a surefire success or that they don't have to question whether you have what it takes to follow through on the idea. So, It's annoying because it requires a lot of effort and a lot of time. And I know that as writers, we want to just like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's write some things down. We got a hot pitch. We'll take it in. The minute someone then says, okay, so talk to me about this sort of B character and what will they be in the rest of the show or what what purpose do they serve? And if your answer is like, well, we haven't really got there yet, but, you know, I think they'll, no one wants to hear, I think. They want a concrete answer. So that's all I can say from my own experience, from someone who takes in pitches, my production company like receives a lot of pitches. And what we respond to the most is specificity. Hmm. I would rather a really, 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 you know, thought out. It's a, we, I will say yes. Nine times out of 10. If I believe the writer understands the complete world that they are, bringing into the room for me. But so many people don't have answers to their own work. Um, Anyway, so that would be it. Just be thorough. Be thorough as hell. Was there anything like when you were, when you came up with the idea for Good Grief, you were going through a couple of different things. I would imagine you had other ideas too, though. Like that one just rose to the surface for like these various reasons. Any advice for those writers who like haven't really taken the time to go deep on things like how to really develop the habit of being a writer yeah i mean it's a tough thing you know it's a hustle and and i understand that that i'm speaking from a level of privilege where i have the ability to to pick and choose i know so many of my friends don't and all all i kind of say is like 
just believe in what you're writing and don't feel like, I think so often we also hear like, oh, this, this, this group of people, this sort of streaming service or this studio is looking for this kind of programming or they're looking for this and they want this. The number of times I've heard people say, well, I just want to sell, I just want to sell the show. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing for someone and then they don't sell the show because what they're writing has no, they're not in it. They're writing it for someone else. They're writing it as like a piece of content, which is my least favorite word. We're not making content. We are not making content. We are making things. We are making beautiful stories for the world to take in. So yeah, it's, you cannot write for someone else. And I know it's hard because I think we just want the job. We just want to make the sale. We just want the paycheck. We want all of these things that I think affect how and why we do what we do. But think of all the success stories in film and television, and they all come down to really singular ideas, people who had something specific to say and, and just went for it. So you can't write for someone else because you, you feel it in the work. You feel a kind of echoey hollowness um, because it's been tailor made for something or someone that ultimately we don't know whether they even want that in the first place. So all you can do is put your best foot forward and, and really kind of be as specific as you possibly can. I spoke with um, Amy Sherman Palladino a few, a few days ago about Miss Maisel and Gilmore Girls. It seems like, like Gilmore Girls, you guys had that small town aspect. Can you talk a little bit more about writing all of those side characters on the show and kind of the fun of developing those over a longer arc? I think what was very important for us was that we we knew that we we didn't want the small town to be the butt of the joke. Hmm. We knew that we wanted the family to be the joke. And there was something really interesting in switching up this like preconceived notion of what small town people and life is. So often I think there's a cheap way out where you kind of make the small town the joke and the people come in and they're trying to navigate like these zany people in the town. That's not to say we didn't have some zany people in our town, but they had heart and they had integrity and they had a perspective and they had values and they had kindness and they were open. And the town of Schitt's Creek, I think from, from episode one, we knew that it was not going to be um, a homophobic place. We knew that this was going to be a place where, you know, my character could eventually have very loving relationships out in the open and everything would be fine. There was something sort of important about understanding what the town was and what these townspeople were. And I think once we knew that the town had integrity, it meant that the townspeople had to have integrity too. And even if they're, you know, even if they're silly and even if they're, you know, um, flawed at, at the heart of who they are, there is something good. And that really informed the boundaries of where we could take all these characters, because at the end of the day, everyone on the show was doing something out of love. It might have been misguided. It might have been, you know, fearful. It might have been wrong, but it was even fear, even anxiety is comes from a passion. Ultimately, it comes from a passion to, to be okay. <laughs> Ultimately, I think at the end of the day. So, you know, yeah, it, it, that laying the foundation of what we wanted that town to be really helped us so much. And ultimately, 
created the philosophy of the show. We wanted to show a, a we wanted to show this family a life that was better than the one that they had previously known, even though the life they had previously known had money and wealth and access. Um, it was unfulfilling and they didn't have love in their lives and they didn't know who they were and they didn't know what they wanted. So the the town and the characters really allowed us to poke at our central characters, to have people question their naivety, poke holes at the at who these people were, who the Rose family was, and force the family to question themselves in response. So it was a great, it was just a great setup. And, and again, like so much of it is the cast too and the capability of a cast. And we had this wonderful team of actors who were so skilled at comedy, but also had the ability to just turn on a dime and make you feel something, make you feel something more. Um, and that was crucial to, to, to not just the casting, but the writing and and the establishing the foundation laying of of what that town was and who these people were going to be i think it's just uh last question in terms of um wrapping up the show what was the most difficult part within the writing process in terms of where the characters are going to go how did you think about uh wrapping up Shit's creek such a beloved show at that time it was really i think it was the hardest Hardest thing we ever, hardest thing we had to do, obviously, like a series finale is tough. Um, and I think I just, I did a lot of research in terms of like watching series finales, watching series finales that worked and watching series finales that didn't work. And what I came to understand was all the successful series finales that I loved were just really good episodes of the show. And all the series finales that I didn't love took something and made it something different, eventized it, or treated the characters differently, or had them in some kind of scenario that they would never normally find themselves in for the sake of eventizing this conclusion. The truth is, your audience has stuck, stuck with their sh the show for as long as they have because they love the show. So all I wanted to do at the end of our series was to give a really great episode of television to our fans, to give a version of our show that felt totally in line with the rest of the series, but felt special, answered questions, you know, and I, and I think if you care enough about the characters, you can't, you, you have to trust the characters. You can't trust the audience. You cannot let the audience's expectations of what they want enter what is actually best for the characters. And I think for us, breaking up Alexis and Ted was the hardest choice we made, I think, on the, on the whole show. But it was a choice that served Alexis. It didn't serve the audience. I think the audience would have loved for them to stay together. But it served the character she deserved to go off on her own because she needed to know what it was like to be by herself and to build herself up on her own. That I, I firmly believed was the greatest gift we could give that character. And in the end, I think the audience understood it, you know, and audiences can be really sensitive because they feel like they've invested their time, 
But I, I believe that we did that breakup in a way that really kind of made the audience feel um, they were disappointed, but they understood it. And I think they cared enough about the character of Alexis to understand why we did it as well. And then, you know, you needed, you needed, I knew that we needed costume. I knew that we needed huge costume ideas. So the idea of a wedding and Moira, what, what Moira would wear to her son's wedding to, to me felt like a really wonderful gift to give the audience. Um, and we wanted it to be about love and we wanted it to, to we wanted to just show as, as the bookend of what, what we came in, this was a family that didn't know each other at all. And now they leave as a as a family that 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 wants to be around each other, that is crying over the fact that they are not going to be living in this motel anymore. <laughs> like that took a lot of that took 80 episodes to get there. Um, but again, it all served the characters and a lot. I think the one trick is we put a lot of the the housekeeping, some of the characters, you know, reconciling with each other, some of the wrapping up of different character storylines we put in the episode prior mm -hmm. so that that last episode could just be fun. I wanted it to just be fun. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it, you know, it to be super heavy and have the audience like a total mess or feeling sad. I wanted that last episode to feel light and feel joyful and feel celebratory. So a lot of that, heavier lifting we put in the in the episode uh prior so that there was room to kind of wrap up all of our characters like respectfully thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift i'm giving you my first book ink by the barrel for free that's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.